Steve, hi, good morning to you. Uh, by the looks of things, it's dark. What, what time is it with you? Oh, it's uh, it's our dark hundred. I, it's about six ten in the morning, you know. So, and it's a it's going to be one of those beautiful uh, midwinter mornings here in Canada that uh, you know you you hope that the fire stays in overnight. Otherwise, you're going to wake up busting the frost off the inside of the windows. I think it's going to get down to minus, or it has got down to minus uh, minus twenty four outside now today it's going to start to warm up so during the day expect it to be a balmy minus one or minus two so i'll be out there in my t-shirt and my shorts uh, reveling in the uh reveling in the warmth but which, um which part of canada are you in where are you uh i'm in the best part of canada um of course. I, live, I live i live in a place called muskoka which is uh, cottage country to the greater Toronto area. So you got the greater Toronto area where in Ontario, uh, where, you know, there's a ton of people and, and in the summer, they sort of go north uh, about a two hour, two and a half hour drive. And this is cottage country. So a lot of the, a lot of the buildings here, a lot of the cottages, a lot of the, um, a lot of the residential areas are actually summer cottages. Although summer cottages is the wrong implication. I'll, I'll explain that in a sec. So we had this tremendous influx. I live in a little tiny village called Rosso, which is at the end of the Muskoka Lakes. It's the, it's the north end of Lake Rosso. And our population during the winter is probably about, I don't know, 60? Yeah, probably about 300. But in the summer, it's about 35,000. <laughs> so it's, it's a huge contrast. It's a beautiful area, uh, the Canadian Shield. Uh, rocks, trees, and lakes, and that's about it. Uh, and that's when beautiful. I say cottages, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, when, when you say cottages to most people, or chalets, they think of a little cabin. I live in a converted schoolhouse, so my place really is tiny. But some of the cottages here are like five or six million dollars, and they, they send the gardener up two weeks before the family come up to sort of prepare the lawn. You know, it's, it's different. Goldie Horn and, and has got a place just around the corner and all that sort of stuff. You know? Actually, it's, it's not too too far different from here in Cornwall. It's the same sort of setup. You know, it's, homes have become second homes to to rich visitors. So, but you know, there we are. That's it. When I lived when I lived in the UK, uh, the Wales was starting to get like that. You know the. The, ah. the Welsh, the, the citizens of Wales were very, some of them were very upset because the bloody English were coming here and buying up all the cottages and we can't afford to live here. You know, that, that, that mentality, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Steve. Keep um, diving around here. Lots of lakes. There's lots of, ah. there's lots of, uh, lots of diving opportunities, which is, yeah, which yeah. is kind of nice. And I live um, where I am. I'm about a 20 minute drive from uh, the, eastern end of Lake Huron, uh, Georgian Bay. So the, the, that lets into the Great Lake. So it's a, it's, a, it's a decent place to live, if you're a diver. Well, you're, you're mostly technical diving, an instructor, expedition leader. Um, would that be correct? It would be, uh, or it would have been until I joined Raid as the director of diver training. Um, the... Um, the thing that I've enjoyed doing most of all, 
is one exploring the Great Lakes because there's some tremendous wrecks in the Great Lakes. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of history. Um, you know, this country and, and our neighbors to the south, those people we don't talk about. Um, our history is really written on the on the the bed of the Great Lakes because uh, uh, they that was the main thoroughfare for for commerce and for trade and for the settlers moving moving in. You know, the wagon trains might have been one thing, but uh, when you really really get down to it and explore it. Uh, people moved their furniture and people bought their goods and people actually traveled from uh, east to west uh, via the, the waterways and the Great Lakes, of course, which is you know, near where I am. That was one of the main passages. That was the, that was the, the motorway. That was the, the interstate. You know, that was the, that was the uh, main thoroughfare for, to get from one side of the country to the other. So there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of history uh, on the, under the water so there's there's a, a some great opportunities to actually explore it they say there's ten thousand wrecks in the great lakes and there's always more being discovered so you know that's that's kind of cool so do you do you get to dive very much now or, or uh, are you more well, off the ground? yeah i did deviate from your question for a that's good okay. reason I'm, I'm trying to cover up the fact that i, I very rarely get to dive anymore when i oh. joined right as director of diver trading <laughs> my diving sort of went Dunk, you know, and of course we've got a pandemic. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't dive very much um, in the Great Lakes anymore because my real joy is. Well, I say that I was in the I was in the Great Lakes a couple of weeks ago, but um, my great joy is cave diving, and of course that that. Although there are caves around the Ottawa area uh, near our nation's capital, um, most of the cave diving that I I've done in the past has been. Bahamas, North Florida, and Mexico, and those are the areas where I I tend to gravitate to, especially Mexico, because it's warm. I've got friends there, the infrastructure's there, and the, the caves are very, very beautiful. In my early days of, of, of my career, there were two things I said I was never going to do. One was weddings, and the other was cave diving. Yeah. And then... I had the opportunity to do a film for BBC on the cenotes in the Yucatan. And I have to say, it was just incredible. And after my training and starting to explore cave systems, uh, with Sam Meacham, who was down there, I don't know. Oh, if you know I know Sam. Ah, fantastic. Well, an amazing character. Um, Character's the right word. <laughs> it was a highlight of my life. I mean, what stunning things to do. So what is it that draws you to cave diving? Uh, I mean, I can, you know, this is where I, everyone realizes that not only do I have long hair, but I really am a hippie because it's the uh, commune with mother nature. It's to be in the, in the womb of the world, you know. Um, a lot of people see a cave as this threatening place that's, you know, just a, a hole in a rock and you're going to swim in there and you're going to swim for an hour and you're an hour away from the surface and isn't that terrifying? Well, not really because part of cave diving and part of the attraction is the pre-planning and the, and the risk management, which appeals to me very much. Um, and obviously I have, I have some skill in that area because I'm still here, you know. Um, but uh, uh, apart from that aspect, there's the, 
I love in the caves, as you know, you're looking at rain that fell 20,000 years ago. It's, it's, it's rock, it's precipitate, it's, it's soda straws and, and all the furniture that's in the caves, flower stones, and the colors in them. And that, you know, that line of color in there is from a, from a sandstorm in the Sahara. Filtered down through the, through the rocks and the trees and the roots of the trees into this cave and formed these wonderful, wonderful uh, decorations. Um, and of course, in, in Mexico, as you as you may know, as you may have seen, there are there are skeletons in the, the you know the, there are the bones, fossilized bones of creatures long extinct. There's a there's a, a, a cave system, one of many many that I really love, um, and it's it's literally to get to it's in the middle of the jungle and about a, a 25 minute swim in there. There's a the the main bones of a mastodon you know it's like holy god and another one there's a there's a extinct giant sloth and i mean all this stuff is you read about it in books but to actually see it to be in the presence of it i don't know i just get a kick out of that and it is that whole thing about this is nature at its best this is really we haven't quite as a species we haven't quite ruined it yet and uh, you mentioned sam's name and as you know sam is very very big on the preservation of um that environment and uh campaigning one of many people in the in the yucatan who is campaigning um with the help of the of the mexican government uh it should be said to preserve that history to preserve that environment and um you know somos los cenotes you know we are the cenotes um it's a, it's a good movement. It's a, you know, it's it's something we need to be aware of. That's where our drinking water comes from. Uh, that's where, you know, that's the future of our future as a species is dependent somewhat on preserving that environment. If we don't, we're bucket. What 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 is the state of play there at the moment? I mean, are authorities actually taking notice? Because when I was there last, the development on the coast was huge. Uh, is that still the same? Yeah, there's that dichotomy. I mean, it's, you know, it's the same where you live now in, in, uh, in the west of England, uh, where I live in central Ontario, and where most of the people watching this will be are living as well. There's always the balance between it's the economy, stupid. It's jobs. It's this, it's that. Well, it's also let's combat global you know uh, climate change let's preserve the environment so there's always those those um balances that we have to get with and um the government they've they're like any other other government in the world you know all governments are corrupt all governments are you know all politicians are as bent as a dog's hind leg um so there is the, the there is the, the the tremendous tension between the those that want to conserve nature and those that want to build the condos, and it is frightening to see some of the condo developments in the Yucatan because you'll go to a place that you know two years ago was jungle, and now there's a you know there's a bloody <laughs> hard rock cafe, um, so it, that is quite disturbing. It is having an impact 
on the aquifer. It is having an impact on the, the water, uh, the, well, the aquifer inside those caves. But we're still at the point where I think if we really wanted to, we can make a difference. So, folks, send your money to... <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, I, I think you asked me earlier on, what was the attraction of cave diving? I think, you know, when we're a kid, we think, oh, you know, I want to change the world. And then as you get older, you go, okay, I want to, I want to change me. Um, but I still have some of that kid stuff where I want to change the world. And it's all about making a difference. You know, can, can I leave a legacy? Can we leave a legacy? And it would be great if our generation can actually leave the legacy of preservation of the aquifer. You know, the, the realization that a coral reef isn't just a coral reef. It's not just a tourist attraction. It's the seat of life on this planet. If it weren't for coral reefs, mate, we wouldn't be sitting here talking to each other because we wouldn't be around, you know? Um, so if we can have some kind of an impact or make some sort of a difference, I think it's awareness of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, uh, I do. It's just moving on slightly from, from there, just while we were talking earlier before um, the, the meeting started, uh, you showed me your tattoo from Haida Gwaii, the Charlotte Islands. Which yeah, I spent a long time there and know the same people as you. Yeah, it's it it is um, for those listening who may not know Haida Gwaii on the west coast of Canada. There's a there's a group of islands uh, which um, the colonists call Queen Charlotte Islands, but the the locals call Haida Gwaii, and it is the Haida Nation that's there. Um, very, very proud, very, very interesting communities. Um, you and I both lived in, it turns out, in Massad Inlet in that area. I was there as part of a, a logging camp uh, working for Macmillan Bladell, um, but also being very aware of the, again, the balance of nature. I came from a London advertising agency to a logging camp in Haida Gwaii, and it was a real culture shock, but a beautiful people, um, a, a very interesting culture. Uh, never um, never signed a treaty. I don't think the, I don't think the Haida ever signed a treaty with the British Crown, did they? No, no I don't think so either, no. And it, I don't was... think, I don't think they were, they were, conquered and i mean christ i i remember getting off the plane in in uh, masset and the plane was a grum and goose as you know you know you kind of fly in in this little this yeah. sort of it looks like an airfix kit you know a, a model airplane kit and i got off and i'm surrounded by all these guys who are like <laughs> two meters tall and built like a you know like a athletes I was going to say a, 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 a brick shit house, but I thought I'd better mind my language. But, you know, these guys who are absolutely huge. And I was thinking to myself, well, I'm glad we don't have to invade these guys because that would be a tough sell. <laughs> but, of course, they're, they're yeah. Polynesian. I mean, and that's their, that's their, their background. And a very proud nation, um, beautiful art, beautiful culture, wonderful creation stories and they live in a it literally it's, it's it's like the garden of eden isn't it? it it was one of the best periods of my life there um with the, the scenery the wildlife but the culture as well the people were amazing 
Um, I took my family out. My kids went to school there uh, for a little while. Uh, and the whole point of us being there was to look at the environment through the eyes of the hider. So we looked deeply into conservation, logging. I'm sorry you were on the other side at that point. Um, I, I don't, what, do you know the state of play in, in Hardy Quiet at the moment with logging and conservation? Um, I'd, I think that... the. The government there um, is very aware of what's going on. I think our federal government and our provincial government as well, I think they're very cognizant of the fact that we, this is a, there are still virgin forests there, as you know, and it's a, it's a temperate rainforest. I mean, it, it, it is, um, it's, you know, you can't sort of go to the new forest in England and kind of say, oh, it must be a bit like this because it ain't. Um, there are tons of species there that have not been described. Um, there are trees there, as you know. I mean, uh, trees that are, make anything in Europe look like a weed. Um, and the other thing that surprised me was the number of... Um, we were very... Even, even as a logging operation, we had to be... We worked with the, the Haida um, community and their elders to make sure that we didn't go in any sacred areas and that when we found um, a log that had been worked on with the potential of turning it into one of their dugout canoes, um, and sometimes they'd come across a, a log and it, it, they'd start working on it and they'd get to a point where the wood was pulpy, where you know they couldn't carry on. So they'd leave what they'd done in the forest. If you come across one of those, it had to be documented and it had to be preserved and all of that stuff. So there was some, back then, there was some, um, concessions made to the environment and to preservation, but I I think it's got there's more awareness now than there was when I was there back in the late 1970s, um, oh, which is which is good. And there's, there's a tremendous amount. There are a number of people. You know, I'm a I'm a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, and we're very as a society we're very aware of the the heritage of places like that. And of course. There has, over the last 15 years um, or thereabouts, a, a tremendous um, expansion of the awareness of Indigenous rights, our Indigenous people, the true Canadians, not, not the immigrants like me, not the uninvited guests, uh, but the, the, the real Canadians um, and yeah. their rights to their land and their their cultures and their way of and, and of course the waters you know the uh, the waters that surround the islands and uh, i mean you have you dived much around there i dived a little bit uh yeah. when i was there i didn't get many opportunities but um sometime afterwards uh when i moved away from there and and actually became a canadian and, and decided to live here for good i got a chance to dive in that area and as you know um, it is replete with wildlife. There is, there are fantastic invertebrates. There are there are lots of pelagic, lots of pelagic life, and the thing that fascinated me always was the the water. As you know, is quite chilly. It's um, you know six or seven degrees. Um, of course, it's it's salt water, and it you know it um, you have this um, Oh, 
and well, you can't touch a rock without killing something. I guess it's what it's just carpeted with uh, with invertebrate life and with interesting interesting stuff and you were there filming i understand so you must have had a, a ball when you were there oh uh, I, absolutely i mean i remember the 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 season throughout the time when the gray whales come in and they come into massive around that way and they come right up to the beach you know they're almost grounded and you get in you dive with them um they're a little wary but they're 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 not overcautious. Fantastic. And you can just see them from the shore, you know. Yeah. In, I mean, they're murky up the water because they're hunting for clams and stuff. Uh, but, but beautiful. An amazing place. Yeah, amazing place. Wonderful people. Um, and uh, tremendous opportunity. And a place that's often overlooked. You know, we, we work in the dive industry. And, and right now with the pandemic, we're pushing, I think everyone's pushing, you know, staycations. You know, if you're going to, if you want to travel for diving, well, stay in Canada because, you know, if you're Canadian, we've got a tremendous amount of, of stuff to dive here. And it's, it still amazes me the number of people where I am. And I mean, the West Coast for us, for me to get on a plane and fly to the West Coast is about the same time almost as me getting on a plane and flying to England. It's a, it's a fair distance away from where, where I live in Canada, but it's still Canada. And um, to some extent, we can still travel there, although that, that goes up and down depending on the situation with the, the pandemic. But it's, it amazes me the number of Canadian divers who do not consider a diving vacation to... Vancouver Island, let's say. Maybe not Haida Gwaii, but Vancouver Island because the infrastructure is there. There's tons of liverboards. There are, how many wrecks are there, intentional wrecks are there in British Columbia? I've lost count, but that they've got a very active uh, artificial reef um, organization uh, working. So there's, there always seems every couple of years they put down another, another wreck that's, you know, 100 meters long and it's in a, it's in sort of, 30, 35 meters of water, um, perfect for, uh, for tourism. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a great spot for, uh, for diving for Canadians. So if you're Canadian listening to this, West Coast, have a look at it. It's, it's the similarities between uh, the West Coast of Canada and here in the UK are amazing. I mean, our coastlines, the amount of wrecks, the, the different waters, the amount of life that's here is incredible. And yeah. as you're saying, the lockdown now and the COVID has made people look seriously at coming back diving in the UK. Because it is, it's really diminished over, over the past years. But it's starting to gain in popularity again. And thankfully, uh, you know, as people get to dive it and look at it and see how much life we have uh, and that's that's a great incentive to try and protect it yeah uh, uh, we were we were talking before we before we started recording we were talking about the silver lining of the pandemic and i mean i think you guys you know we we don't have a stellar performance here in canada it's not bad but you know we have the advantage of a population that ten, outside of the greater toronto area we have a the the opportunity or the the advantage of having a population that's pretty widespread so when it comes to social distancing 
yeah, we've got that down pat. But um, one of the things that perhaps uh, this gives us uh, in terms of uh, an opportunity is we can look around and say, okay, well, what do we have at home? You know, what is there here? And the, the whole staycation thing, I mean, it sounds a bit of a trope, but really it does give us an opportunity to actually look at what we have and what is in our own backyard. And the UK, I mean, I can remember when I, I visited my mum and dad uh, when, they, when they were both still alive and it, they lived on the south coast of England. And I, I went there and, and they lived near Folkestone and I went to the local dive shop in Folkestone because I just picked up a dry suit from uh, um, a company that sponsors me in the UK for dry suits. And um, I went in there and I said, look, can I rent some gear and do you go out like wreck diving anywhere? And, and the guy in the shop said, oh yeah, we go out. Yeah, but we only go out about seven miles. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, how, how many what's the opportunity what are you doing oh well in that seven miles we've got about eight thousand wrecks and it was like holy shit and so you know the, it's certainly and that's the english channel and of course you've got that same thing all around your coast you know the irish sea up on the west coast of scotland the north coast of scotland down through the you know the 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 east coast and um this tr Plus, you've got some inland diving as well. There's tremendous opportunity. So the whole staycation thing, um, we should be pushing that. I think we should be pushing the whole, um, you know, stay at home, be a bit safer. There's no need to travel to get this opportunity. Um, and I think the if there is an advantage to what's been happening in the in the states in the last four years with the whole, you know buy American, let's be American. I mean, Christ, they, they labeled straight away. They labeled us as a threat to, to, uh, you know, their, their, their security. I mean, how could Canada be a threat to anyone's national security? Screw you. But, um, what it has done is I think it's made us more aware of the fact that, you know, when we go somewhere else, like, you know, let's go to Cuba. Well, do you really want to throw money into that economy or would you rather stay and go to say the East coast of Canada and go to, and pump some money into that economy. And although that has the, has the ring of a sort of jingoistic, you know, um, ring to it, it is kind of interesting to sort of look now, uh, you know, a year into this pandemic to sort of see where people's minds are at, especially in the, travel and hospitality industry where people are starting to think maybe it's better that we have one trip ab abroad and the rest of the time we spend our disposable income, our, our travel income, our, our silly money uh, locally. So there's a, there is that benefit to it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Entirely. Steve, it's been uh, <laughs> lovely talking to you. Um, we haven't talked about anything that I planned, which is perfect. <laughs> there is, uh, Jeff, is there, is only, there is only now. There is, the, you know, you can, yeah, all that exists is this moment right now. So, you know, exactly. whatever you plan, yeah, yeah. Look, it's been perfect. It's been lovely. So look, I'll let you go because I'm, I'm sure you're about due for some breakfast, aren't you? Uh, 
Well, I fast. I'm, I'm one of these intermittent fasting guys, and I don't have breakfast for another couple of hours. But, you know, I'll, what I will do is I'll have another cup of coffee. Oh, excellent. Well, let you take care. And um, hopefully when the COVID's over and you're ever back in the UK, we can catch up. I look forward to seeing it at one of the dive shows because one of the things that I think the UK does well, several things the UK does well, meat pies, beer, of course, uh, dry suits and dive shows. So. <laughs> oh, cool. Excellent. Excellent. Lovely. All right, see Paul. Um, I'll say goodbye for now. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Cheers now. Bye. Take care.